You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, Who? Enjoy. Motor running. Right? You're not in standby mode, are you? Hallelujah. We're ready to eat, right? We're ready to eat fresh, hot Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here. We have no desire to play church or for uh, man's religious ideas. We're here to eat you. We're here to be changed by the resurrection power of the Messiah. And we give our whole selves to you this morning. The only reason that we're here on this earth is to know you. In you we find the meaning of our life. We find the answers to every issue, the provision for every need. We find the direction and the love and the joy and the peace that our heart is longing for in you alone. We give ourselves to you. Minister to us, Holy Spirit, the salvation of Christ, the wholeness, the wisdom, the provision, and all that the Father purchased for us through his sacrifice. It's in the matchless name of Christ we gather. Amen. So our message today is very simply called Who? And I want to get you out of the homily mode and coming to hear a nice little homily. We've never done that here, but I want to get you out of the religious tradition mode. We're coming to hear from the Holy Spirit to let him minister to us to let him give us the wisdom we need, the answers we need for the decisions we need to make in our lives, to bring his provision into our lives. So our focus here at Highway Church is on cultivating this intimate relationship with the one who made us. You want to put that word up there, Eden? You want to put that word up there? Who, W-H-O, thank you. Who, it's very simple. This is our focus in life. The one who made us. Who he is. What do I mean by who he is when we say that? We mean his nature, his will, his disposition towards you. When God thinks of you every time, he smiles. Every time. You can't make him not be glad about you. God made you and knit you together in your mother's womb. And regardless of the mistakes you've made and the stupid things that we've all done, when he thinks of you, he's, he's so excited at the thought of you getting to know him. And he just, he's hoping every day and every night that you would just turn your focus towards him. That you wouldn't let the world distract you and what people say and all the voices around us, but that you'd give your attention to his voice. The one who made us. That's what we're focused on. And when you focus on the one who made you, you'll begin to realize what he's done for you through his son. Because he's love and love acts. How does love act? Love is faithful. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is benevolent and giving. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And I know uh, I'm living in the same world you're living in. We've experienced a lot of stuff that was called love that wasn't love. And that's what breaks us. But God wants to heal that by you, by by. It, exhorting you and encouraging you to receive real love directly from him, the source of it, all right? And then when you realize what he's done for you, realize that through simple faith, I can begin a new life. I can be born again. My spirit can be made new, and I can become a very son, a very daughter of God. That's our focus at Highway Church. But you got to understand, and this might sound crazy to you, it might sound like a religious cop-out, but Satan is real. And whether you believe it or not doesn't make him go away. He'd like to think that you don't, he'd, you know, he'd love it if you don't even know about him. He'd like you to think that that's some medieval myth 
that Satan's not really real, that we're sophisticated now and we know better and we don't listen to such wives' tales. Satan is not a wives' tale. He's not a myth. His name was Lucifer, and he rebelled against God, and he talked some of the angels, a minority of some of them, into rebelling with him. We think it's one-third of the angels. We're not 100% sure from Scripture. But they rebelled with him, and they were cast down to the earth. And his name was changed from light bearer to adversary, Satan. Or he's referred to as uh, Beelzebub, the lord of the flies. You know, flies like stinky stuff. Like take out the garbage, it's these flies and these larvae on this nasty garbage that's been baking in the heat for three days. It's like, ooh, they're just nasty. Satan likes stinky stuff. He wants your life to stink. That's why he tries to lead you into sin so he can mess you up. So that flies will come around you and your life will, and you, it just stinks. Sin stinks, doesn't it? It hurts. It stinks. And it, it, it's nasty. But Satan, he doesn't want you to know that he's real. And he's doing everything he can to get your focus off of who? The one who made you. He doesn't want you to know your maker's voice. He doesn't want you to know how much your maker loves you, how much your maker's done for you. He doesn't want you to know uh, who you've become if you've put your faith in Christ. So he's trying to get our focus off of the one who made us. Or if he can't get us to believe in the love that God has for us, one of the things he'll try and do is to, to, to get us to put another who in the place of the one who made us. In other words, he wants us to give our affections, our whole self to someone other than the one who made us. Do you know if you haven't given your whole self to the one who made you, you cannot enjoy marriage as God intended it? See, the, 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 the truth about a blissful marriage is giving your whole self to the one who made you. Only then can you love someone as married love should love, right? Giving your whole self to him. When you give your whole self to him, he'll start fixing things inside of you and enable you to love your spouse, okay? Satan is trying to consume your thinking with anything else but the one who made you. He's trying to consume your thinking, trying to get you to figure out how your life's going to work out, how this problem's going to be solved, and how's this issue at work going to happen, and how are these things ever going to happen. And he tries to get us to become anxious and worried and discouraged and fearful of what might come. But that's not our focus, our focus in life is not how our, th our situations are going to work out. Our focus is on the one who made us. I, I'm going to say it like this way. Our primary focus in life is not on what we're doing or where we're going, but on who we're knowing. In fact, what we're doing and where we're going has everything to do with who we're knowing. God wants you to come to the place in your life where the actions you take and the things that you engage in are an outgrowth, an outflow of your intimacy with Him. Man, I remember hearing as a kid growing up, you know, uh, I, I had a uh, painful home that I was in and I heard all kinds of stuff that, that just made me really mad and my siblings, we had, some, we had a rough time. But I got all kinds of advice from, from immediate family and relatives as I got older about what I should do with my life. And I noticed that people are afraid of the future. They're afraid of what might happen. And I remember reading a book, I was probably 17 years old, 16, somewhere in there, by, I think it's, I don't remember if it's Ray Bradbury, the Fahrenheit 451. I don't know if you've ever read that, it's on the classic uh, literature reading list, I believe. But anyway, there was a, a section in that book, and it's a, it's a fictional book, but there's a statement in there that I memorized. I didn't know the scriptures back then, but this statement hit my heart 
It says, search not for security, for there never was such a beast. And if there was, he'd be related to the great sloth, which hangs from a tree. Shake the tree and knock the sloth to the ground. And that hit my heart because my family was afraid of the future. And they told you, you've got to go into this field because that's where the jobs are. And you've got to get this certificate from man or that degree and go into this field because there are going to be jobs. And you know what? I, what, what what's funny as I look back over the years, some of the jobs they said that we're going to be secure aren't around anymore. There's no security in this world. We're not looking for security. We found it in Christ. We're not looking for security in the world. We're secure in Him. So Satan, he'll, he'll try and make you afraid of what's going to happen. He'll often try and bring a, a challenging situation or a storm into your life. God doesn't bring storms. He rebukes them. Don't listen to that religious garbage. When a storm came against Jesus, he didn't say, Oh, thank you, Father, for teaching me through this storm. He rebuked it. He recognized where it came from. So Satan tries to bring these storms into your life, and in the midst of the storm, here's, here's how he gets you. He'll say, why is this happening to you? How could this happen to me? Don't ever entertain those questions. That's a sure way to stop you in the midst of a storm, is to get you to try and figure out why and how. See, there's all these questions. There's why, what, where, when, how. But the one we're interested in is who. Because when you know who made you, the answers to all the other questions come. Are you following me? So in the midst of the storm, don't, don't even entertain why is this happening, how is this happening. Focus on the one who made you. Why and, and how won't get you through, but the one who made you will. Let's open up the scriptures to John chapter 10, verse 10. It's not pondering why and how, but knowing who that's going to bring you through. John chapter 10, verse 10. How do we know the one who made us? By accepting his word, what he says about himself and about us. See, you can't know him intimately without this book. I know that it's been mistaught, it's been misunderstood, it's been used legalistically, but that doesn't negate the power of this book. It's the Word of God. And if you don't have a hard copy Bible, man, you, you, are, you are a sitting duck for the devil. I'm telling you, if you don't know this Word, you're like a sitting duck for him. He'll just pick you off. You've got you to gotta eat this thing every day, go through it, find out what God says about himself and what he says about you. In here, it's in here. I mean, you need to look at this word as if you're in the deep end, deep end drowning and it's your lifesaver. It's that important. You can't afford to go through another day without owning a hard copy Bible. I'm just telling you. Digital is fine. I've got a bunch of them on my devices, but you need one of these, a hard copy, something you can touch and hold in your hands, doesn't have any batteries or any backlit screen, no notifications, that when you open this book, the Holy Spirit inside of you will teach it to you. He'll reveal himself to you through the scriptures. It's helpful for the five-fold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We need them. When you find a good teacher like Joseph Prince, we're doing his book uh, in, in our get-togethers right here, right? Destined to Rain. Excellent book. Get this book. But you, when you come across a good teacher of the Word, it will save you so much time. It will save you so much confusion, okay? Save you so much. That's what the five-fold ministry is for, is to reveal Christ to you through the Scriptures, Okay? So God's nature, who he is, is revealed to us through the scriptures, through his son, right? Through Jesus. 
And look at the nature of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10. This is uh, one of the best places to see very clearly God's disposition towards you, God's nature towards you, God's will for your life in Christ. He said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Who's the thief? Satan. Is God the thief? Will he ever steal from you? Will he ever try and kill and destroy you? Never. Has he ever sent anyone to hell? Ooh, had to pause on that one, right? Listen, if someone goes to hell, they go there of their own choice. Right? He's, he's, he's done everything he can do to keep us from going there. But we have to choose him. We have to choose to put our faith in Christ and walk with him. Right? He's never sent anyone there. Anyone that's gone there has gone because they chose that. All right? It's important to understand that. The thief comes to do these things. In fact, hell wasn't even made for man. Have you read that in the scriptures? Who was hell made for? Satan and his angels. It was their prison. It was never meant for man. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. Oh, I love the Holy Spirit. I love feeling him move inside of me as we're here. Boy, he loves you so much. Don't fall asleep. He said, I, I, God in the flesh, the will of God came that they might have life and have it abundantly. The Amplified says, I came that they might have and enjoy life. If you're not enjoying life and living it to the fullness, you need to know Him. You can't live life to the fullness apart from Him. I came that might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it over." flows. So we're going to shine the light on the schemes of the enemy today, okay? Because too many people are going through their days and their weeks listening to the enemy. And as a result, they're stressed, they're anxious, and they're afraid. And it will wear you out and keep you from living the abundant life Christ came to give you, all right? So look, we're going to look at a couple of scriptures that just talk about the devil's schemes, all right? Ephesians 6, verse 10, 11. Jesus told us basically he's, he wants to steal from you. He wants to kill and destroy you, right? So that, that's a great way to summarize what his agenda is. What's God's agenda for you? Life abundantly. He wants to love you into an abundant, whole, healthy, prosperous life. It's his love that will get you there. Okay? Not religion. So Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Anytime you'll see the Lord's, or the scripture speaking to us say to be something, you know that's God's will for you. To be strong. Right? So God's will is for us to be strong. He's empowered us. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 11 Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The scriptures talk a lot about the devil. Right? We're not, we're not uh, obsessed with him. We're not paranoid. We're not afraid of him. But we need to recognize how he operates. So we stop listening to him. Okay? So there's another place that talks about the devil's schemes. 2 Corinthians 2.11. Another place that talks about the devil's schemes. It says, in order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan. Wow. That's what a thief does, right? He tries to take advantage of you. There's some really good thieves out there. They dress well. They say all the right things. They've, they've got you know, a nice presentation, but they're thieves. What are they really after? It'll become obvious if you just listen to the Lord. You can, you'll, you'll begin to spot them right away. In order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. 
Remember his schemes to steal, kill, and destroy? How does he do that? By getting us to take our focus off of the one who made us and on why, how, where, when, I don't know, what's this all about? Let's look at this in the scriptures. Let's go back to the beginning in Genesis. We refuse to listen to the devil. We refuse it. We're not going to give him the time of day. He never has good, good in store for you. He never has good intentions. He's completely evil. Evil is very real. We see it in the world. There are people who've given their lives to the devil. Right? Uh, Adolf Hitler, great example. Osama bin Laden. People who have given their lives, who destroy innocent lives because they've given their thinking to Satan. See, I'm not interested in being politically correct. I hope you're not either. You know what politically correct will do? Blind you to the enemy. It'll numb you to the truth. Politically, be, trying to be politically correct will make you uh, easily offended where you can't even hear the truth anymore. And that's exactly one of Satan's strategies, this whole concept of political correctness. We want truth, not political correctness, not what some politician tells me I can and can't say. Are you willing to, to come this far? Are you willing to say, forget political correctness, forget political parties, I want Jesus? If you're not, you'll never live the abundant life. If you're, let, if you're getting upset with the latest news story, you're never going to live the abundant life. If you're letting what's happening in politics and, and the things that people say on social media flip your switch, you're never going to live the abundant life. God wants you to rise above this noise. That's not who we are. It's not what we're about. We're not going on social media to find out the latest uh, controversy and, and find out who said what. And Man, it's just, it, it'll wear you out. See, you don't have time for your attention to be stolen. God has a destiny for you that demands your full attention. <laughs> it does. Demands your full attention. I've noticed in my life, just in the last few weeks, there are times says, God, put your phone down. God says to me, put your phone down. Turn it over, face down. I want to talk to you. Mute it, face down. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. Let him do it. Let him talk to you. You don't need a phone. You don't need any other device in your life, but, but, but you need to hear from the Holy Spirit. It's true. Satan wants to train us to depend on anything else but the Holy Spirit. That's what religion does. It trains you to, to depend on your own efforts. And boy, is that a dead end, right? Let's see, how are we going to do this? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. We're kind of going to skim over this. We want to see how the devil operates. Because our focus in life is on the one who made us. So when we're making decisions on life, in life, we're not thinking why, how, where, when. We're thinking who. Who is speaking to me? Who am I living for? Who's leading me? Who am I following? These are the questions we ask, right? So God said, let us make man in our image. This is verse 26. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Verse 26. So here's God's heart, right? Here's God's desire. Let us make man in our own image, in our image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, after our likeness, and let them have dominion, that word can also be translated sovereignty over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle, over all the earth. Let them have sovereignty over all the earth. Does that sound like God's trying to keep anything back from us? No. He made man and gave him the earth. Wow, what a gift. Right? Pretty amazing. What a, what a generous God. Right? This is a God who's unafraid of the mistakes you might make. Isn't that wonderful? Because He's enough to fix it. 
He's got the love and the power to make it new. So he's not worried about what you can and can't do. He can do it. In verse 27, he said, God created man in his own image. So he's not insecure at all, is he? He's not conniving and manipulative. He wants you. He made you in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. In fact, Jesus was asked about marriage. Was it in, uh, I don't remember, Matthew 19 maybe? They're, They're asking Jesus questions about marriage. And he responded, he said, have you not read that in the beginning God made them male and female? God designed something amazing called marriage in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. And I'm so thankful that this is God's design. It wasn't a political group. It wasn't a a religion. It wasn't a social organization. This is God talking. We're going to make man in our own image, male and female. Don't let anyone pull you away from that simple reality. Satan has confused so many with this simple truth. He made them male and female. Let's go to, let's see. Let's go to verse 28. And God blessed them. Why did he bless them? He loves them. What's he want to do to you? Bless you. Why? Because he loves you. Right? It's a simple, isn't it simple? Boy, I love getting to know him. It takes all the weight and pressure off. Clears the air so I can breathe freely again. Man, the world makes life so confusing and heavy, and you never know the answers, and just voices whirling at you from every direction. But God says it's simple. I made you in my image. I made the male and female, and I want to bless you. Wow. And God said unto them, be fruitful. Multiply. Replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. I have to be careful. I could take any one of these verses and preach for a few hours. I'm going to keep moving here. My goodness. Let's get, stay on point here. Genesis chapter 2. So Genesis 1, we get a summary of what God did in six days. How he restored the earth and made man in his image. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden. You know what Eden means? Place of God's presence. Place of delight, delightful. That's what Eden means. I know a young girl named Eden. In the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So he sets them in the center of paradise. What a loving father. He makes them in his image, male and female. He blesses them. He empowers them. And he sets them in the middle of paradise and gives it all to them. Wow. Love this God. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, now this is interesting, as you're going to see here in a moment. Genesis chapter 2 goes back a little bit before God made Eve. Okay? The Bible's not in chronological order. (laughs) Okay? So you have to read it and understand. Sometimes it'll state something, and next chapter it'll go back before that to give you some insight. And that's what's happening here. We're going to see that in a moment. God commanded the man, saying, because the woman wasn't created yet, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Who knows how many trees were there? How many different kinds of wonderful things to eat were there? We know it was an abundance, more than he could ever eat. But, now this is the important way. We're talking about the strategies of Satan. This is the verse I wanted to get to. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. 
Now, you can read that and think, well, what's wrong with knowledge of good and evil? Isn't, wouldn't that be nice to have? No. How do I know that? Because God said it's wrong. Don't try and make up your own standard of right and wrong. That's what the world does. But it doesn't work. It won't work against Satan. See, Satan laughs at political correctness. Satan laughs at all this confusion. Because he, know he knows there's no power in it. He knows that as long as you're concerned about being politically correct and listening to man, Satan can take advantage of you. All right? So what's wrong with the knowledge of good and evil? Why would that be a bad thing? Because God made us to live by faith, not by reason. God desires the most intimate of all relationships. Do you know what the most intimate of all relationship is? Of all relationships is or are? I don't know how to say that. That when you simply speak, it's so. That all that I all I need to know is that he said it, and I'll do it. That's intimacy. God made us to live off of what he said. I'll say that again. God created us to live off of what he said. If you don't know what he said, you aren't living yet. You want more life? Learn what he said. The more we, we simply believe what he said, the more life we have. This is really good. It's really simple and it's really good. You can look at your life and there is a direct correlation between the amount of life and love and joy you're experiencing and the amount of word, the amount of what God said you're believing. Guarantee you if there's an issue in your life, just find out what God has to say about it and believe that and it will be solved. But you got to just take what he said. Religion will rob you of that. Religion adds things to it, takes things from away, away from it. Matthew 8, 17 says, Jesus himself bore our sicknesses, carried our diseases, and religion will say, well, but Jesus didn't say that. He bore your sicknesses. He carried your diseases. In Isaiah, the message says it was our pains he carried. Do you have any pains in your body? Why are you carrying them? Why are you looking for solutions for them when Christ already bore them for you? Isn't it time to go right to Jesus for your answer? I mean, he, 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 wants, to, he wants you to be relieved more than you do. And if there's something you have to do temporarily to, to provide some comfort so you can focus on the Word, that's okay. But the Word's your answer, not the stuff you're taking. God didn't make us to live on medication. He didn't make us to live on anything else but on what He said. His Word is the food we need to be whole. So we don't need the knowledge of good and evil. We don't need to know the why, the when, the where, the how. All we need to know is who said it. Who's leading me? For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, that's a loving father. A loving father just doesn't let their children do whatever they want. Why? Because a child doesn't know what's good for it, right? A loving father protects his children until they can know themselves what's right and wrong, right? A loving father lets a child know, don't do that. If you do that, you're going to hurt your hand or you're going to injure this or you're going to, this is going to happen. You don't want to do that. So God is a loving father. He's saying, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, in the day that you eat of it, you're going to surely die. Verse 18 in the New American Standard says, then... The Lord God said. So after he gave man this command, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. 
So Eve wasn't there yet. Isn't that interesting? He told the man this. He gave man his word, and then he made Eve. Very interesting. So whose responsibility was it to teach Eve what God said? Adam's. In fact, Jesus tells, or, or Paul, Jesus through Paul in Ephesians, says, husband, loves your, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Let's pop that up there real quick. Ephesians 5.25. Let's read it. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. How? Verse 26. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Husbands, our primary responsibility is to impart life to our wives through what God said. Not legalistically trying to control your wife with the Bible. There's, not, there's nothing God about that. Legalism is of the devil. It's death. But like Jesus uh, empowered the people he ministered to, husbands, we're to bring the word of God to our wives. That means we've got to know it ourselves. It's the number one responsibility to being a husband is knowing the Word. Number one, you are to be an expert in what God said, husbands. Expert. How do you become an expert? By, by applying it and meditating on it daily. Okay? That's our role, husbands. Number one, to know His Word. We can't love our wives, we can't be a husband, we can't be a father without that word. All right? Everybody okay? Number, it's good to know what your responsibilities are. What if you went to work and you didn't know what you were responsible for? What would happen? A disaster, right? I thought you were supposed to do that. Well, I don't know. I thought you were supposed to do that. I don't know. And, well, I'll do it. No, I'll do it. No, I want to do it. You've got to know what you're responsible for, Right? I heard zero word in my house growing up. Zero. I don't know if my dad knew any verses. <laughs> As a result, our house was a wreck. Far, far cry, far below what God ever intended. Way, way, way off the charts. Why? Because there's no word there. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about trying to jam the Ten Commandments down your family's throat. I'm talking about the dad submitting to Christ. Man, this is good. It hurts, but it's, it, it feels so good. Or what's it? Hurts so good. John Cougar Mellencamp. You remember that song? Hurts so good. Hurts so good. This is a good kind of pain. This is what we're about, dads, husbands. We're about knowing Christ. It's your calling. It's your calling. Intimacy with the one who made you. Get in this book. Get to know him. You'll be a peaceful, joyful husband and father when you start submitting to him. If you're cranky and get upset easily, it's simply because you don't know him that way. You need to change your thinking somewhere. There's something in your life you haven't given to him yet. Might be a project you're working on, or sometimes we just get tired. That's all right. But don't get down on yourself, husbands, because of the mistakes you've made. God isn't counting them. He doesn't even remember them. You go before God with your, he's like, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't even see that. That's under the blood. Just talk to me about how, how amazing you are and how much I love you and how I've empowered you to do all things through my son and Tell me that you're a new creation in me and tell me that old things have passed away and all things. Tell me about those things. That's what God wants you to talk about. He wants you to, to say back to him who you are in him. Don't go before him and rehearse your mistakes. I mean, that's, you can talk to him about him. He wants to hear everything. That's fine. But, you know, get beyond that. You know, pour your heart out. Get your stuff out. Lay it all before him. Be honest with him. But then let him build you up. Don't keep rehearsing that same stuff over and over again. All right, husbands, move forward. Move forward. Let the peace of Christ guard your heart and guard your mind so that you can be the husband that you are called to be and that you really are. You just sometimes might forget that.
Hallelujah. So then, after God gives him this command, he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. Remember, he made the male and female. So here comes the female. I will make a helper suitable for him. One, one translation is, I will make him a corresponding companion. I like that. And boy, is that true. I have found in my wife a corresponding companion. She doesn't think like I do. See, that's, marriage isn't about being the same. That's the world's idea. The world says in order to be equally important, you have to be the same. So we all have to be one whatever. No, we're important because God made us. Listen, we experience equality by appreciating our differences. I don't want my wife to be like me, please. I'd leave. <laughs> I'd be the first one out of there. I would. Someone give me a lawyer. I'm out of this. <laughs> I want her to be her. And that's different. And sometimes that's challenging to me. Because we each see things our own way. But that's what a corresponding companion is for give you a different perspective. It's not good for the man to be alone. Who said that? God. So God brought your wife into your life to bless you. Don't kick against the grain. Let your wife be. I had no plans to say any of this today. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. I hear far too many husbands complaining about their wives. And she does this and she doesn't do that. And they don't realize that they're revealing the problem by their complaining. It's the way they're thinking. They're thinking wrong. If you're complaining about your wife and you think your wife is the problem, it simply reveals that your thinking needs a change. It doesn't reveal you're a bad person. You're not. It just means you're thinking wrong. Just make that shift. Start putting God's word in there. What does God say about you, and what does he say about your wife? How about that? I'll make a helper suitable for him. More than ever, the world needs husbands that know him. Husbands that are not frustrated in their marriage, but joyful and glad to be married. Marriage is amazing. It's divine. Only God can. That's why we can't redefine it because we didn't create it. We, we can pass all the laws we want, but it's not going to change anything because we didn't pass a law to make marriage and, and we can't pass a law to redefine it. You can, but it doesn't change anything. If you want real marriage, you've got to go to the one who, who gave it to us. Right? Hallelujah. I like the message translation of Ephesians 25. It says, Christ's love makes the church whole. Talking about, put that up there, the message translation. Talking about loving our wives. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Jennifer spoke that during communion. God wants to give you uh, ashes instead of beauty. A crown of glory. Right? Excuse me, beauty instead of ashes, yeah. Yeah. Don't you know what I meant, right? <laughs> beauty for ashes, right? What are the ashes? All the junk we've been through. God wants to turn, turn your life into something beautiful. Beauty for ashes. Joy instead of mourning. Yes, he can. And he will if you'll just let him do it. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Let's do that, husbands. Let's bring the best out of our wives by speaking the promises of God to her. Amen. All right. So in Genesis chapter 3, here comes the enemy with his schemes. He hates this whole thing. He hates God. He hates you. He hates men. He hates women. He hates marriage. He hates your destiny. And here he comes, more cunning than any beast of the field. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, 
And what does he do? He has to come into the body of an animal because in the, in the realm of the earth, that's the only way you can vocalize if you're in a physical body. And he speaks to the woman. And the first thing he says to the woman, has God, and what's he doing? He's testing to see if the man fulfilled his responsibility. I'm telling you, don't fall asleep. Stay awake because this is heaven stuff right here. Satan is crafty. He'll come to the wife to see if the heavens fulfilled his, if the father, if the husband has fulfilled his responsibility. Wow. So he's going to tempt her. And he says, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So what's he doing? He's putting a question mark in front of what God said. Did he really say that? Is that what he really said? Now, I don't know what happened. I don't know if Adam just neglected his responsibility or she wasn't listening, but we kind of get some inkling a little later on when Adam blames it on his wife. When you're blaming someone, what does that mean? The issue's with you. Isn't that good to know? If you're blaming someone else, that's because the issue's with you. It's good to know that. We can laugh at ourselves, can't we? Come on, let's all laugh at ourselves. <laughs> I'm a funny one. I really am. I crack myself up. Listen, you may as well laugh at yourself because everyone else is, right? I'm the best, best laugh I know. I, don't know. I, I get a kick out of myself. <laughs> so the woman, woman says to the serpent... I don't even know why she's talking to him, but she's, she's, she enters in, she, she bites the bait and enters into this conversation with a thief. We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, now she's going to quote, maybe this is how Adam said it to her. I don't know. He said, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, is that what God said? This is what religion does. It adds stuff to what God said, and then Satan can steal from you. I didn't even know what God said. He didn't say you shouldn't touch it. He just said don't eat of it, right? It's no small thing to add an addendum to what God said. We just need Jesus. We don't, know Je we don't need Jesus and the wisdom of man, okay? We need that pure word. Okay, so the serpent, he's probably inside that, ooh, I got her now. She doesn't even remember what he said. So then the serpent says to the woman, well, you will not surely die. What's he saying? Right? He, he's trying to, to twist her image of God. He wants her to think that God is not for her. He's against her. And anyone who tells you that God brought a tragedy in your life to teach you something is wrong. If God brings tragedies into our lives to teach us something, then he's not for us. Let's be real and stop playing religious mind games with people. Yeah, that was the beginning of this, the last chapter in our get-togethers this past week, right? Schizophrenia Christianity. God loves you, and then he brings sickness into your life to teach you something. <laughs> that makes no sense. It makes no sense. Never has God brought sickness in your life. Never. Never has God brought a tragedy into anybody's life. I'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you and you want a Bible study. I'll show you in the Scriptures. That's ignorant conclusions based on people's experience, not on the person of Christ. All right? So now he said, well, you're not going to surely die. God's not for you. He's against you. He's up to something. For God knows. Boy, that's, boy, is he crafty, huh? That now he's saying, I'm the one you need to listen to. Don't listen to him. I'm going to rescue you from this God who told you that. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Oh, so I'm missing out by obeying God. Uh, doesn't he tell you that? You're going to miss out, right? If by following God, FOMO, right? Big fear, fear of missing out. That goes away when you follow him. He won't let you miss it. He won't let you miss it. He loves you too much. God knows that they eat your eyes. Verse 6. 
So when the woman saw, so now she's totally going with the senses, right? She sees that the tree, you can't tell if something tastes good by looking at it. I remember being in a furniture, furniture store, and I saw this table of food that looked delicious, and I, you know, from 20 feet away, and I got close, and it's plastic. It wasn't bad, but it was just plastic. I did take a bite of it. No, I got kicked out of the store, too, but. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, so now she's making decisions based on her senses, not what God said. She doesn't trust him anymore. She's listening to the snake. Don't listen to snakes. And a tree desirable to make one wise, she doesn't know that. She took of its fruit and ate. See, you'll come to all kinds of conclusions that you think are truth but are not when you listen to snakes. She took its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Wow. Then the eyes of both of them were open. What does that mean? It means their senses took over. It means a huge transformation happened. Death entered their body, and now their senses were ruling them. And they knew that they were naked. See, they're seeing everything different now. Something that's beautiful they see is shameful. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Verse 7 says, as they ate, suddenly, in the Living Bible, let's do the Living Bible, yeah. And as they ate it, suddenly they became aware of their nakedness and were embarrassed. Wow. And so they strung fig leaves together to cover themselves around the hips. Verse 8 in the New King James Version. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Now, what does Psalm 1611 say about the presence of the Lord? Do you know that psalm, that verse? It says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Why would you ever hide from that? Everything they could ever desire was in his presence. They're hiding from him. Why? Because they're listening to snakes. Religion is a snake. It will cause you to hide from God and not come to him because you feel like you're not worthy. As if God doesn't know the mistakes we've made. He knows we're not worthy. That's why he gave his son. Through faith in Christ, you're worthy now. You're as worthy as Jesus is worthy. You can come to God, your Father, 24 hours a day, seven days a week without hesitation because Jesus made you worthy. And there's no mistake you can make that can take that away from you. You're righteous once and for all. Don't hide from the presence of God. That's where your answer is. So the Lord God called Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I've been listening to a snake, right? And he said, who? That's the title of our message. Who told you the things that you're believing? Who told you to look at yourself the way you're looking? Who told you that I was against you? Who told you that I'm not for you? Who told you that I don't love you? How about you? Who are you listening to? We all have decisions to make. Who are you listening to about them? Put your phone down. Turn it over. Mute it. Nothing is that important. Listen to the Holy Spirit for your life decisions. Listen to the one who made you. Who are you listening to? Who are you living for? What is your motivation in the decisions you made? Is it to know him more? Or is it a search for security? Who are you trusting in? Who are you worshiping? Well, nobody. You need to worship somebody. Do you know we're all worshiping someone or something? We may not realize it, but we are. But you will malfunction until you start worshiping the one who made you. We're made to worship him. So put your phone down, go in a room somewhere with just your hard copy Bible, and begin worshiping him.
Just worship him and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Get in the scriptures. Meditate on what he says. Psalm 16, 11 is a great one. You will make known to me the path of life. Wow. Have a life decision to make? There you go. God is, is just, wait, just come ask me. I'll show you. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Hallelujah. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to climb any mountains. I don't have to crawl up any stairs. All I've got to do is listen to the one who made me. Hallelujah. So let's put these up here real quick and we'll end. Let's put these are statements about what God says about himself. And I've got a couple of scriptures. There are many more but for each statement. So let's put that up there. I am the one who made you. This is who. This is the answer to who. This is the focus of our lives. I am the one who made you. And there's some scriptures. You can just take a picture of these screens if you want, then go home and, and read the scriptures. I am the one who made you. I am the Lord who heals you. This is who he is. I'm the one who made you. I'm the Lord who heals you. I'm the Lord. I'm the one who is your righteousness. Put that one up there. That's why we can come to him anytime, day or night, right? I'm the Lord, your righteousness. I'm the Lord, your good shepherd. There's the scriptures with it. Get to know him in these ways. This is who he is. I'm the Lord, your peace. I'm the Lord, your provider. This is how he wants you to know him in all these ways. These are his qualities. This is his will for you. I'm the Lord, your strength. You know Psalm 27, 1? The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I'm the Lord, your sanctification. The one who sets you apart and makes you holy. I'm the Lord, your wisdom. Love that. Jesus has been made wisdom unto us. We have the mind of Christ. I'm the Lord, your victory. Then we'll end there. And let's read this last scripture, Isaiah 41, 10 and verse, th 10, verse 10 and verse 13. This is who. This is the answer to who. This is who we're listening to. This is who we're following. First words out of his mouth. These are great scriptures to memorize. It says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. That word means painful uncertainty. Anxiety. That's what anxiety is. It's painful uncertainty. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I am. So do not fear, for I am. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am. I will strengthen you. I'm going to strengthen you. Isn't that good? Surely I am going to help you. You can bet your life on it. Surely I'm going to uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a keeper right there. Why don't you meditate on that this week? Change your life. Verse 13. For I, he really wants us to focus on him, doesn't he? Right? He said, I, 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 my, how many, six, seven times in one verse. And he continues in verse 13, for I, where does he want our focus to be on him? For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. I am the Lord who says to you, fear not, I will help you. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning. You're holding our right hand. You're caring for us. Surely you will help us. Surely you will see to it that, that things work out for our good. We have nothing to be afraid of. And Lord, we've all made mistakes. We all have a past, but that past is in the past. It's behind us. 
It's under the blood of Jesus Christ. It, our past has passed away. We're clean now. We're new creations in you. We put our faith in your son. So we look forward, not backward. Today is a new day. And we're new creations. No matter how many times we've made that same mistake or had that same bad attitude, it's a new day. That's not who we are. That's not who we are. We're righteous in you. We're clean in you. We're strong in you. We have a sound mind in you. We're full of your spirit. And you're moving us forward into the fullness of your plan. We have nothing to be ashamed of because of the blood of your Son. Our conscience is clear this morning, not because we've done everything right, but because your Son did everything right. We receive this clear conscience, this freedom from condemnation, and we walk forward in the newness of life that you've given us. Holy Spirit, help us to not get caught up in all the questions, the why, the what, the where, the when, the how, but to simply focus on who. Who made us? Who we're living for? Who we're listening to? Who we're trusting in? You're the answer to every issue, the solution to every problem, and the provision for every need. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Jesus. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.